Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 106 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Our main topic this week is episode 5 of SGU Season 2, Cloverdale. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. Also this week, a little bit of Stargate stuff going on on GateWorld I want to talk about. And the big news, of course, in the science fiction world is the cancellation of one of our other favorite sci-fi channel shows, Caprica, uh, which we'll be talking about at the end of the show. If you want to hear us talk about Caprica... Stay tuned after the main discussion and after the voicemails. David, how's it going, buddy? Very well. Happy Halloween to thee. Happy Halloween. Although it'll be November by the time this podcast goes up. This is true. Be out trick-or-treating on Sunday night with my kiddos. It's it's going to be their first time. They're age four and age two. This is their first time trick-or-treating. And the older one is starting off with three costumes this year for three <laughs> different events. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so. he's in preschool, so he has parties galore. So he had a school party, and he went as a pirate. And he had his friend's party, and he went as a knight. And I think for Halloween, tomorrow he's going to go as a fireman. Well, there you go. I'm taking That's a... All Gate World podcast listeners want to know <laughs> what my child is dressing up as for Halloween. Hey, I don't make you look at pictures, so there you go. We talk about them for five minutes every two years. I'm I'm taking a friend and her uh, young son out trick or treating tomorrow, and I'm going as a uh, as a colonial officer. See, uh, if I had a uniform, I would dress up like that. I don't really yeah. have anything to dress up in unless I like cut a hole in a bed sheet and go as a ghost. <laughs> go as a ghost. So before we move on to the main discussion, I want to point everybody over to Gate World. We have a brand new interview up with Christopher Heyerdahl, who played Todd the Wraith on Atlantis. He is also, of course, John Druitt on Sanctuary. Nice audio interview, 17 minutes long, that Chad did with him. This is a cool little bit. Did you listen to it yet? I have not heard it yet, but this is a nice guy. This is a, this is a really nice guy. I take that back. I have, I have listened to it. I edited it. What am I talking about? You did. I, I did listen to it. It's good. Check it out. It's good. I know that we have... And John Smith coming up. He was an executive producer on the Stargate franchise from day one, and he's recently retired. And he also helped launch Sanctuary a few years ago. So that one's coming up, I, I know. And then you got to mention the outtake that has just gone live from Awakening with Telford and the Alien. Are you, you sure it's from Awakening? That shot right. was not in Awakening. Of Telfer standing shot, alongside the alien. That shot was not in Awakening. You're right. I'm. Be, I, I was talking with my friend Diana yesterday, and she. It was her thought, and I agree with her. I think that's from an upcoming episode. You think it's from an upcoming episode? Because mm-hmm. the shot seems to be framed like Telfer is standing next to an alien who's working the console, mm-hmm. and that's not an Awakening. Did Malazzi say that it was from Awakening, or is this an assumption that fandom has made? I believe he said that it's from Awakening. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't. But go ahead. Go ahead. Check it out. Oh, it's I, fu- it's a funny clip. I do expect to see Telford again. I said it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's really short, but it's funny. The main discussion. And our main discussion topic this week is Cloverdale, episode five of season two of Stargate aired last week on Sci-Fi. And this was not what I expected, really, at all. Cool premise. This one was written by Brad Wright, uh, one of the co-creators of the show. And as we talked about before, 
I was totally speculating. I even wrote a news story on yeah. Gate World last year speculating based on the title that Stargate was going to do Cloverfield, and it was totally not. So I totally have to... It has Cloverfield elements. It has the camera element in it, and it has monsters that infect people when they're when they're bitten, so they don't explode. <laughs> Um, it's, yeah, it's, and it's got the guy and the girl in love sort of uh-huh. uh, kind of waiting to die together at the end. It's got those – it's it's definitely got threads. It, it warrants that episode. What wasn't – didn't I read an early news story somewhere that it was shot in a town called Cloverdale? It was shot on location in Cloverdale, British Columbia, okay. which some people have already posted on the site that they recognize it. And yes, the uh, BC film and television industry – uses the town of Cloverdale all the time. Smallville uses it for the exteriors for the downtown Main Street. And uh, yes, that okay. movie theater is the Talon from Smallville. That is the Talon. What about the interior? I don't think so, because obviously uh, the interior of the Talon looks totally different. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that that was just standing sets for the show. Okay. So I would guess they, they use the actual interior. Of that's, the what I was, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, it looked, it looked like yeah. the actual movie theater to me. This episode had some very neat elements to it. Uh, I was expecting more uh, symbolism, honestly, but they, they played it. They seemed to play it more straight up, uh, except for where the characters were concerned. They brought in a, they brought in a lot of, of players from from the ship. I was expecting to see like things on the walls and you know like like a little bit more like a like a, a shadow of of what was happening in uh, the real world. And, and I'm, I've only seen it twice though, so I, there may be more. But uh, I was looking at the, the, the sets and, and trying to see uh, what kind of hidden messages there were. There's not a lot of that. The sets? You mean like in terms of things that are lying around the room? Yeah, yeah, that inform what's going on. Because thematically, there's definitely a lot of crossovers here between the real world where Matt is on an alien planet and has been, been stung by this bug and has got this huge, gross growth on his arm. And then his dream world, where he's back in his hometown and, and is marrying his high school sweetheart, who, of course, is Chloe. Do you gather that that's where he grew up, or this is a completely fictional world? Because Father George is nowhere present. No, he's not. I don't know. I guess I kind of assumed that Cloverdale was his real hometown, and he just sort of repopulated it. Because, I mean, we don't really see anybody that, that he knows. Mm-hmm. You know, the priest is not there. Uh, it's just people from Destiny who are populating mm-hmm. this town. His son isn't there. His ex-girlfriend, not Vanessa, right. but the, the, the one from Earth, is not there. Right. Brody's has a bar. And Brody, of course, you know that that's that's an, that's another little bit of symbolism. You know, Brody is kind of in charge of the uh, <laughs> of the still, the still on board, right. and now he's running a bar. That together. That's good. I loved the uh, the the choice of of playing what happened to Scott and Chloe on the theater screen with different actors. Mm. I thought that that was clever because at, at first we're not sure what we're seeing, and then we're like, oh, well, this is this is this is what happened to them. Just maybe change the environment a little bit and the actors certainly before the episode started. So that was clever. And the Roaring Lion—that's the first time MGM has had a direct, I think, a direct tip of the hat in, in the franchise. Yeah, I think except that's right. for except for um, Vegas, where where we saw the the MGM sign. Oh, like the MGM Grand Hotel. Yes, yeah. yes. I don't think that this the MGM the studio has anything to do with that anymore. Really? Yeah, I think they sold it like decades ago. Wow. What elements did you particularly enjoy? We had also in the town we had Volker, which I thought was just a hilarious scene. The guy is is so kind of 
straight-laced and frowny on board Destiny. Mm-hmm. Just kind of frustrated in general. <laughs> and he's just hilarious in Cloverdale in the dream sequence. He's the guy who stops Matt and Chloe outside the theater and tries to sort of stall them to make sure yes. that the, the surprise party is ready before they head over to Brody's. And Patrick Gilmore just did a great job with that. There's just so many hilarious little beats there. I didn't realize what he was doing the first time that I watched. I was like, this is kind of odd. He's kind of mm-hmm. lingering it's there. actually it's... really weird. Uh, yeah. I was kind of looking at it as, as Scott probably looks at it. And then I, was, I went back and saw it again. I was like, oh, he's stalling, obviously. Jeez, David. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved the uh, the choice of making young um, Scott's father. I thought that was very appropriate. And in the end, of course, you know, welcome home, son. That was a nudge. The the relationships are... That, that's kind of like his perfect world, you know? I think uh, if things were set back on Earth, he would he would want it to be very much like that. I mean, this is, this is I think, where his mind retreats to preserve itself from this infection. Yeah, it's uh, his happy place. Exactly, yeah. It, it creates this happy place for him to protect his body uh, or protect his, I guess his, his consciousness from, from this, this attack that's going on inside of him. And you can tell as the episode goes on, you know, he, he's dying. He is getting progressively sicker and his, and his mind interprets it as, as having doubts about the marriage. You know, by the end there, he's, he's eating that chicken soup and I mean, he just looks terrible. He looks terrible. You know? yeah. And, and, and young is over him telling him to wake up. He's not saying, you know, I don't know if I can do this because I really don't feel good. I need to go to the hospital. He's like, you know, what if it's the wrong decision? What if mm-hmm. I hurt Chloe? Mm-hmm. There's some interesting crossovers between, you know, is he sort of reacting physically to, to the bug? And, you know, he, he says something after the bachelor party scene when Telford is giving them a lift home. He says mm-hmm. something to them about reality, about mm-hmm. not knowing what's real anymore. Mm-hmm. That's part of what's going on, but yeah, there's also some sort of there's there's an element here of of I don't know maybe doubting his relationship with Chloe or not really knowing yeah. what the future holds. And I think that this this uh, last shot of her in the wedding, the sort of the crescendo of of the music montage at the end, where she turns and now that has he's that. got her blood in his bloodstream and the and and exactly. this alien whatever presence is now inside of him. He then sees what she is going to become, or what she could become. She looks like she's half transformed into into an alien creature, and I think there's a couple things going on there. Part of it is his fear of her, of what she is becoming, because I mean, we watched Pathogen last week. We know what's going on, and yeah, at that point, he's receiving this blood transfusion. Maybe it's his subconsciousness recognizing that this is what's going on, and that he's, you know, in the real world, he's he's bonded to her through this tether of this mm-hmm. blood transfusion. And mm-hmm. in his dream world, he's being being bonded to her in marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, when by the time she's walking down the aisle, you can tell he's much better. You can tell that he's, he's being healed mm-hmm. by whatever this was that's inside of him. Were you surprised to see him get hit by the car at the beginning? Didn't that come out of nowhere? <laughs> I was. It totally came out of nowhere. And um, that was the clip that Sci-Fi released. Oh, they did? Uh, Online, so yeah, I actually saw it in a little clip. Oh, gee. Now, it's, clearly, that would have sent him to the hospital. Um, but would it? I mean, would that have killed him in real life? I mean, that's 
That's kind yeah. of one of the big glaring things, you know, about that episode that that just says to me, well, this is this is clearly a dream world. This is a dream state. That I mean, the car doesn't have a dent in it, and it would have, and it would have certainly. And you know, Young has oh, they 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 bounce at this age, you know. Well, that's it's interesting because the that's used by the director as the transition. So we start out in Cloverdale. And the bus pulls up and the guys get off and then he gets hit by the car and smash, we're back in the real world and he's falling back out of it. Yeah, so that's the first time first time that we see him in the real world and what's mm-hmm. going on with his arm. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little little transition. But yeah, the Colonel Young stuff, you know, I just love that guy. I love Young and I love Louis Ferreira. And it's it's so good to see him happy. You know, yeah. Young is going through so much crap in the real world. It's so young to see him happy and smiling. Yeah, I mean Scott regards this guy as a father figure his parents were killed when he was what four five he never he was he wasn't raised by them so that's that's really uh really a legitimate direction to go i think in terms of story and and the use of the use of regulars uh was was very good uh in that that regard and the relationship with rush translates into the dream world do you recognize the sort of subtle hostility that rush has towards towards young in the dream world yeah yeah, he says so my father's Matt, a great man. Yeah, he's making cracks about about Young uh, drinking a lot, like uh-huh. Father Young's son. Which and may yeah, suggest got, that Young no, that Scott knows in the real world that uh, that Young has been drinking. Ah, uh, that could be. That's interesting. And then Rush, towards the end of that scene, has this just. You are going to die, Matthew. No, before that, he he oh. makes this little crack about Young, about Matt's dad, a callback to. To the fact that Matt had said that he's a great man. I was noticing that uh, Robert Carlyle made uh, the deliberate choice to to make the character a little bit lighter in this scene. I mean, he chuckles. You, uh, you and it's it's off camera, but you never hear you never hear Rush, you Rush chuckle. Yeah, I was like, well, that's a, that's an interesting choice. You know, he's uh, he's playing him lighter for for once. You know, and there's definitely some uh, some feuding going on between uh, between Young and Rush, but. Um, in this dream world, but I thought that that was an interesting choice to make the character a little bit more, uh, a little bit more palpable. Now, how about Eli? Matt in his dream has cast Eli as it's Chloe's sister, Chloe's brother, Chloe's sister as Chloe's brother, which exactly. puts him automatically out of the contestants in the ballpark. Yeah, so he's not a really good buddy who's kind of pining for her. He he places him in a position that that makes him perfectly safe. <laughs> yeah, he's not a threat at all. Although they do have this interesting exchange when when Matt's getting fitted for his tuxedo, and Eli not basically a one girl just guy. steps up and says, "Yeah, you're not known to be a one girl guy, and I want to make sure that you're going to treat her right." Mm-hmm. He never is forceful with Matt. He never says, "You know, if you break her heart, I'm going to kick your ass." You know, he, mm. he, he plays him like Eli would react, like this very careful, sensitive person who's saying, you know, if if you, if you hurt my sister, I I might not be very happy, but, you know, there's not much I can do about it because you can, you know, you, you can beat me up. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I spent a little bit of time with David Blue at uh, uh, Comic-Con this past year. We, run, we ran into each other a couple of times, and he said, they, they keep on straightening my hair, you know, and his hair is naturally curly. You know his hmm. his hair wants to do that, and he's he's always talking about they they don't they don't let it just be itself. They don't, they, they keep on cur- they keep on straightening it, and in in the dream world, uh, his hair is curly. A lot of people who have met Elise Levesque also say have also told told me this past week that the the Elise in the dream was was much more 
close to what at least looks like in real life, as opposed to Chloe on the ship. So th- those were some interesting choices to let the let the characters kind of be more. It was almost like a far beyond the stars kind of episode for for universe where if we had some alien species who were uh, in heavy prosthetics, I almost would have expected to see them in the episode without their makeup on, like like DS9 did in Far Beyond the Stars. I really got that vibe right. from this episode. You know, everybody yeah. is kind of themselves. They're very much themselves. They're very much relaxed. It's it's like, what would these characters be like if they didn't have the weight of the world on their shoulders every week? Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved Chloe's little sort of moments of playfulness mm-hmm. with Matt. Young, most obviously. But sort of everybody, yeah, they're they're not in the the deep dark hole that they are in real life. I was surprised to see Lou Diamond Phillips, and delighted. Oh, yeah? I was like, "That's great!" I didn't realize he was going to come back. Yeah, because it looked just a couple weeks ago like he had gotten written off the show, and there he is. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know if it, for budget reasons they couldn't keep him around or whatever it was, but this was the perfect opportunity to bring him back, and that was that mm-hmm. was a great role that they cast him in. So as the it, as the cop, it would have been nice to see Riley. But I suppose uh, he is dead, so it makes sense that Matt's Matt's mind would not go there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, maybe that maybe that was a deleted scene where they talked about you know a recent death in the town. That that would have been an interesting choice. But yeah, I, I think it would have been it would have been unusual to have Riley. What do you think of the visuals? There was a lot. There was a lot of work in this episode. I, I didn't notice. Are we talking it until about the, the the planet and the critters? yeah the planet and the critters? I don't remember much going on in the dream world. Right. No, I'm I'm talking about I'm talking about what was happening on the planet. They they used a lot of color correcting in this episode mm-hmm. that I didn't notice so much in the broadcast version that I saw in my iTunes copy. There's I mean, like almost every shot, you know, when when it's still daylight out, you know, the the, the trees are blue. That would have required a lot of time. Stargate hasn't done that a whole lot. They did that in Forever in a Day. They made the planet pink. Right, the purpley yeah, flora. Oh, but, I didn't really uh, notice the plants. You know, this is one of the things that was. Uh, well, I'll save that for quibbles. But uh, the the plants that that was a that was a neat visual. More toward the end, I kind of wasn't completely sold on the movements of them. The the angle of uh, where the the plant gets that's bitten by the bitten off by the vortex. It was neat, but yeah. it was kind of, you know, I I didn't exactly buy it as a as a visual effect. It just that's. Uh, I felt the same way about that shot. It's it's a great idea. Obviously, the stem falls over and at an odd angle, laying on the gate ramp. That was uh, a great sequence, which is a great idea. Yeah, you know, the the critters are afraid of the the vortex and we're running out of fuel for the flamethrowers. So we keep dialing again and yeah. again and again, and uh, that's a great idea. I yeah. love that. Um, I wish that that in the past and in, in the last fifteen years of Stargate that we you know used. Use the vortex more for a safety for device, things like that. You know, strategically using mm-hmm. the vortex. That was really cool. But yeah, that visual effect of when it actually gets one of the critters, it it seemed a little, I don't know, flat, a little two D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did feel two D. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. But overall, the creatures were really cool. That I sky wish... shot with the Kino was cool. Of the Kino flying above, like this, that that UAV view, that was neat. Oh, maybe my screen was too dark because I really. I was about to say that I I wish that we would have gotten like a shot of like a field of these things. There were that, that was on that was on the Kino. Absolutely, when the Kino uh-huh. is flying above ground, you could see them, the plants, menacing and almost advancing okay. towards the gate. I'm gonna go back um, and look for that. That's a neat shot. That's a neat shot. 
Johann Sebastian Bach, the the choice to use uh, him for the the wedding ballad, uh, I thought was an interesting choice. To mm-hmm. I- interesting to to put it over the entire sequence, not just the the wedding scenes, but the the whole movement. I liked that a lot. I, I liked that a lot. It was very uh, it was very unstargatey. Um, it was beautiful, and uh, at this point, we're we're cutting back and forth in the montage between the mm-hmm. dream world. And you know the march down the aisle, and uh, uh, Rush is is sort of reading off his introduction as as hosting the wedding, officiating the wedding. Excuse me, mm-hmm. I did go to seminary. Cutting back and forth between the wedding scene in the dream world and the real world, where we're fighting off these creatures and trying desperately to survive for one more minute. It's a beautiful juxtaposition, really intense, and then that crescendo with Chloe turning into the camera, turning toward Matt, and is half transformed. Mm-hmm. With the crescendo of of the Bach piece was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that ending sequence. Mm-hmm. What did you think about Rush not being a priest? About being more of a justice of the peace. Of a justice of the peace. Yeah, because Matt Matt has his cross hanging around mm-hmm. his neck in this reality. So he's he's that that's clearly his background. I thought it was I thought it was kind of I think it it just felt like safely secular to me. What what did you feel about that? It's maybe it's telling for his character and where he's come in the last year. Because when we met him in Air, especially in Air Part 3, when we saw his flashbacks with the priest who was who was like his, his adoptive father or surrogate mm-hmm. father, and he sees the cross, the crucifix in the desert, some very obviously powerfully Christian visuals. He's it's sort of obviously a, a, a Christian guy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, if that choice in this episode was sort of revealing that he's, uh, outgrown Christianity. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say, I would say not doing too well spiritually right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. That seems to fit. I I was asking myself, what what are they saying about this character by, by, Mm -hmm. by not making young a priest or, or revealing father George or his, his ex-girlfriend or his son, you know, this is, uh, obviously it's not about the guest stars. You know, this is, this is about, you know, setting up a, uh, a new universe for an episode, pardon the pun, and um, and playing with your characters in different ways. You know, I think this is one of the the, the cool sci-fi tropes: is is taking your characters out of their element, putting them into a more uh, more recognizable setting or a completely different setting, and playing with them, and in so doing, revealing facets about them that you couldn't ordinarily uh, achieve yeah. in the environment that they're in from from week to week. The holodecks achieved this a great deal on Star Trek. You know, they they would often bring in bring in the crew in, in and having them play these different roles uh, rather than guest stars filling out, the, out those roles. So it was a really, it was a, a really uh, a neat, neat choice. This episode for me came right about the time where I was hungry for some action. Again, mm. the episode need the, the show was needing some action, I think and this episode, I, re- I think really achieved that. Yeah. I was, I was hungering for get off the ship, uh, yeah. explore a planet and have some explosions, threat, <laughs> some external threat. And, and this one delivered in spades. Yeah, the, the dream world basically gives us something that, that a normal story can't do because everything that you see in the dream world is the result of Matthew Scott's subconscious. Or so, his perceptions, yeah, of the yeah, world that so, he lives you know, in. Every character and what they do and what they say is being generated by Matt's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's meaningful in some sense. The fact that Telford is there is meaningful, I think, mm-hmm. for example. Um, yeah, what do you think about the comparison of Cloverdale to the Stargate SG-1 episode, The Changeling? 
which had Teal'c uh, uh, sort of hallucinating, dreaming uh, this other life as a human being, as a firefighter. It's going to have its similarities. The uh, that that storytelling device is used a lot in science fiction, and it's it's mm-hmm. reused because it works. You know, you you place a character out of. You, you, his environment and you set it somewhere else that it was done in Vegas. The, this, the same, the same kind of thing. You're, you're taking your characters and you're, you're putting them somewhere else. Uh, and, and you're right. And it, it's more specifically tied to the changeling because it was a hallucination. The Atlantis episode home is very similar to that as is, um, the real world. Yeah, you know, real world. The, these episodes often stand out to us fans because I think we resonate with, uh, and are receptive to to seeing our people occasionally in another environment because again it allows us to to explore angles of them that we could not uh, normally uh, access you know because their personalities are a little bit different or their roles are changed young is not at least currently in the military for instance uh, and it makes him more accessible to his quote unquote son and, and Greer they have a different dynamic with with one another which is refreshing as an as an audience member refreshing to see that kind of an angle rather than you know the the constant military one uh, I would have loved to have seen Cameron Mitchell in, in a, a situation like that where he kind of could let his hair down and be a little bit more like John Crichton for once a brand new car rather than <laughs> you know the the strict reserved military guy what what did you think of um the solution to the episode of, of chloe being um the cure did you see that one coming i guess not i guess i didn't really see it coming it made a lot of sense when it finally got there it starts with her i mean she discovers that she's gotten a little bit of this this plant stuff on her shirt and tj cuts it off and checks her out and she's not been infected at all even though she's sure that mm-hmm. it must have touched her skin so, but the sort of the next beat of that is she decides when it, it's clear that she's going to be forced to leave Matt behind and go back to destiny. She sneaks away and walks over to where the where the creatures are, and this great shot that they used in the trailer of her reaching mm-hmm. her hand up mm-hmm. toward the plant. And I thought that what they were doing there was she knows that she's now immune to these guys and maybe even has some power to repel them. You know, using her powers to fight them off. Yeah, ended up not being what they were doing. She was she was actually trying to get herself stung and succeeded. Uh-huh. They had they had no problem stinging her. As as soon as she sees the spot on her shirt, I was like, oh well, she they're going to do a transfusion because she's uh, her healing powers are still very much uh, useful and she can she can transfer that to Matt. So I was a little bit disappointed in figuring figuring that out so quickly. But, yeah, it, I mean, sense. it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. On well, the sequence in which they did it, where they're, you know, lying there on the gate ramp, you know, connected by this blood transfusion line, it was, it was neat. Mm-hmm. Originally, I felt that why she did it was very much for, uh, for selfish reasons. Because, I mean, she, uh, she does want to... I, I think, I think it's, it's great. I think, I think uh, Rush makes the point. You didn't do this just to to be with a dying dying man to keep a dying boy company that's a great line yeah and then i was thinking about and by the end of the episode she's happy that she's going to kind of be in quarantine with someone else did she do that so that she could bring matt closer but then i thought we haven't had any establishing shots or or sequences where they've even suggested that she's afraid that she's going to lose him and if that were the case, then I think that that's what would have happened. But the more and more I think about it, the more you know, she did that more to save him. Uh, but for a while there, I was I was thinking that she really did that uh, uh, more for herself. 
It starts out with the selfish beat. Her explanation initially is that they weren't going to let me stay with him because she wasn't infected. And this is where she has her, her sort of conflict with Eli. This is a really emotional little segment of this episode between these guys. Eli is deeply d- disappointed that she's decided to do this. And his little farewell to her at the gate mm-hmm. is, is just sort of heartbreaking, especially if you're an Eli fan. She, it seems like she's made the decision that she would rather stay here and die with her boyfriend than go back to the ship and live with Eli and everybody else. But that's not why she's done it. Apparently not, yeah. As it goes on, she sort of reveals to Rush that she thinks she's immune to these guys. Mm-hmm. Because it touched her skin, which is something that I want to talk about in Quibbles. I was really expecting that last week's episode, the little the little dealie with the, with the chair, uh, would preserve her secret for several episodes. But all it does is preserve it long enough to get this story told. Yeah. Uh, and now, now they're... The secret's uh, out again. Secret's out again. And she's back into quarantine. Yep. That was awfully quick. I, I felt a lot of that episode was set up for this one. You have you have the scene with uh, with Scott and Chloe in bed, and he's he's asking her, you know, if we weren't on Earth, you know, if, if we were on Earth or in a different mm-hmm. setting, you know, what would this relationship be? Which I think really exactly. informs this episode. Exactly. It, this is on his mind. So, so I really think that this is kind of a part two to, to a lot of the scenes from that episode. Yeah, the blood transfusion thing, though. I mean, we're not really sure if her blood has sort of universal healing powers, mm-hmm. although she apparently, you know, made short work of a bullet hole in her leg. Yeah. So maybe it is general. But yeah, the real question that's left at the end of the episode is, did Matt get anything else? I mean, did he get the bad side of her blood? Is he now basically infected with the same sort of genetic manipulation that the the blue aliens have done to her? And is he going to start going through what we saw her going through in pathogen last week is it 100 percent certain no but i think the real big indication there is that he sees her in his dream once once he starts getting her her blood he sees her yeah. for what she may become and i think that that is a big telltale sign that yeah he's Which probably got us yeah potentially a threat so yeah i was thinking about this today and i would be really interested if maybe maybe what they did to her was genetic manipulation plus sort of programming her you know, we had this theory of maybe they're programming her to as a Trojan horse to help them get onto the ship mm-hmm. and get Destiny. So I'm, I was speculating about this and thinking maybe Matt got sort of the physiological effects of the blood, like the healing, but he didn't necessarily get the programming. He may be the key in stopping her now. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see that play out. And from the previews, it looks like next week there's some stuff going on, and, and it would be really interesting to see it play out where where this has some sort of long-lasting effect on Matt, where he's able to do something or be something that nobody else can because he got some of her blood. So anything else on Cloverdale, or should we move into some quibbles? I have some quibbles. Okay, let's talk. It's time for quibbles! In the uh, dream sequence when they're in the theater, the second time I watched it, I caught that uh, they have the shot of her getting a, a splotch of whatever yeah. it is on her shirt. Yeah, my wife had to point that out to me. Now, if this is from Matt's perceptions, that's that's off in a in a pretty tight sequence like that where you'd be pretty distracted. That's awfully specific for him to recognize that that happened to her. I understand why they showed it to us that they were showing it to us to let us know as an audience that she had gotten some on yeah. her, but 
we're, we're looking through Matt's perceptions, and I don't really think that he would have been looking at her blouse. Well, based on the actors in the movie, uh, it looked like he probably had his back to her. Yeah, I mean, if you if you take it strictly from from the information that he had from he that he experienced, I don't think he would have known that. Yeah, Matt shouldn't have known. Yeah, I think it was it was probably just for the audience's benefit of being able to make that connection later when Chloe has the spot on her shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are under siege by these creatures, who if they touch you, will terrible things will happen to you. And there's a mention early on that uh, there's one other Stargate in range. But it's been locked out. Now we've seen uh, we've seen our guys override lockouts before. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really wondering, you know, maybe initially, when we're not, uh, you know, up against the event horizon, uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to go there. But when it's clear that we're all, you know, going to die. Um, yeah, just how bad can this planet be? Why not send a Kino and check it out and see what's wrong with it? Yeah, even if we don't have a Kino, it seems like whatever is on that planet that could make it worse than this one, uh, you might get another hour or two at least. I was surprised that they didn't go have a look, because uh, that's what I thought too. I thought that they could override the lockouts, and it, it, it suggests in this episode that it's locked out. Um, and and Eli just says, you know, it's probably for a good reason. Yeah, I would have at least sent a Kino and had it checked out, because you, you, you are being besieged by plants <laughs> in this thing this is not good growly plants yeah. i think the, the plant actually screamed at the end mm-hmm. it's interesting uh dr park speculates she doesn't know if um they're necessarily plants or animals maybe they have properties of, of both. both maybe they're like coral she says but when greer hits it with a flamethrower at the end you actually hear this piercing scream which is just creepy Mm-hmm. I would hate to think of a plant being able to scream. Park speculates that uh, there's there's an intricate root system underneath the surface of the planet, and Rush says, you know, maybe they're following our vibrations. I don't understand how these things don't just take them over and drag them underground. I mean, it, it's like that they, they can only, like, advance their forces within a certain, like, perimeter. Why, why don't they just pop up right from underground and take them? Uh, I didn't. Mm. I didn't understand that. And they begin to near the end of the episode. You know, they 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 can pop up inside the the barricade when they choose to. And I just didn't understand that aspect of it. This it's it's it was fairly clear to me, at least I I kind of assumed that they could they could emerge underground from anywhere. Why don't they just take them over? Yeah, I'm not sure about that root system and and if it's really everywhere, like all the way up to the gate, mm-hmm. or if they just sort of came upon the edge of it. And because I got the sense, you know, they they there's a couple lines where they say, well, they're this far away and they're this far. They're an hour us. away there. And we're hearing them like, really? You think that's that far away? So I got the sense that they were actually moving, which made me think of them more as potentially animal life than plant life. Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if, if they're just sort of rooted down in their their giant plants, it doesn't seem like they would be able to follow them. And there's talk about about how they infect people like this. To spread um, their spores. To spread their spores, yeah. They're, they, they, people who are infected live just long enough to mm-hmm. be able to get, you know, far away enough that they can spread their spores. Mm-hmm. So that would imply then that that they can't necessarily actually move around, you know, have locomotion. A lot of us assumptions are made in this episode based on uh, visual. For for one thing, I mean, I don't think they clearly establish, to my satisfaction, it seemed to me that you were infected if you got pricked. 
but they were afraid not to touch Matt, not to touch his his arm or anything like that, because merely touching it would would make him infected, you know. And 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 Chloe gets a, a splotch on her on her shirt. They assume that just because she's been contacted by that splotch against her skin, she's going to be infected as well. When the only one who was infected was Scott, who was jabbed. And then Chloe goes and gets herself jabbed as well. Don't you think that's a bit of a leap? Um, or, or was this stuff corrosive acid that would go through the skin? I think it's perfectly plausible okay. that you don't necessarily have to be stung with it and get it in your bloodstream. But, okay. but just, you know, topical contact could potentially be hazardous. At the very least, TJ's being super cautious, which you should be. Mm-hmm. Chuck has a quibble. Let's listen to Chuck's voicemail. Hi, this is Chuck uh, from Hollywood, Florida. First time caller. Um, I've listened to your guys' show for a while now. It, uh, it's very good. Thank you for doing such. It, I love listening to Stargate related topics. Uh, as don't get to geek out enough with my friends, even though <laughs> you think they'd be more. Anyway, uh, just talking Cloverdale and loved uh, loved the last episode. Though I didn't understand why they didn't just try to burn the thing off of uh, Scott's arm uh, as opposed to trying to cut it off that would have been my first instinct after you know they figured out that they couldn't just cure it otherwise uh i thought the episodes are pretty good i'm pretty interested in this season of sgu the, the last one didn't get good until the second half and this one's been kicking ever since it started uh, keep up the good job thanks so why didn't they burn the growth off these these blowtorches flamethrowers look to be fairly effective on the critters yeah, I, I, I'm curious as to why they didn't even didn't attempt that as well. It's um, I don't think we can try fire because it's in his bloodstream. Maybe they would have thought of it before the amputation, but after the amputation attempt, and we know that it's in his bloodstream, uh, that that's game over. Yeah, I think blowtorch is not going to help. Hey guys, this is Steph calling from Japan. Um, first off, um, last time you guys were talking about ratings, you know, some boxes, that kind of stuff. Um, I just wanted to know, does iTunes not count? I pay $2.99 every week, um, so I think that should count for something, does it? <laughs> I would pay more, of course, if I could. I wish they would charge me like 20 bucks, but they don't. Um, the reason I really mention this now is because I was really saddened by the news of Caprica's cancellation. heard about that today. Um, but by the way, thank you for letting us know about BSG Blood and Chrome. But as for Cloverdale, um, the first thing that really really impressed me about Cloverdale was how they told us the story of what happened to Lieutenant Scott. It was a totally different medium than we're used to. Um, what we see is random actors in a fake movie theater, and they're just very surrealistic. It was um, awesome the way they let the viewer see what happened, and they don't need to show the actual event. I was really impressed with that. But besides that, the ending, ah, David Blue's acting um, from the time when Eli is making his peace with Lieutenant Scott, um, it's just heart-wrenching. From the look on his face when TJ points out that Chloe is missing, um, to the anger on his face when he tells Chloe, um, but, but now you can't come back. And then his face slides from anger to utter, utter sadness. His final word was shattering. It, like, hurt my soul. Of course, I focus on this because, of course, I have a big crush on David Blue, but in all honesty, the whole cast, it was just such superb acting. Chloe looks totally ashamed and guilty um, when Eli found out and TJ too. Her heart was breaking. Um, But in all honesty, I think Chloe did make a big mistake. 
I kind of feel like Eli is all she has. Lieutenant Scott's whole hallucination had the theme of, I can't be with Chloe, it's not right. And there's definitely something wrong, I don't know. And this is before they shared blood. This is before he finds out that she transferred her pathogen to him. I have a feeling that there will be a huge rift between Chloe and Scott coming up once he finds out everything that happened. And she won't have a friend to fall back on. I don't understand why she couldn't tell Eli of what her plan was and what her hope was, give reasons why she was staying behind. Why did she have to let him utter that heartbreaking last word? Bye. Do you ever hear the results of how many iTunes downloads or how much the studios or whoever is making from the profit from iTunes? I haven't heard anything about that. It's just like no. another offering. I mean, how, how many iTunes downloads are there per episode? I would love to know that information. I would love to know, too. It's We have the ratings issue, which is you know Nielsen and how much Sci-Fi Channel can charge for commercials. Uh, and then we have this other question that we're always talking about, which is, what's the audience size for Stargate? Mm-hmm. How many people are watching this? And is it is it really basically the same number of people who were watching five years ago, but they've just picked up other ways of watching the show? Yeah. I mean, th- you always hear studios complaining about, oh, they had... They had, there was 500,000 illegal torrent downloads for this episode. Well, I'd really love to know uh, how many people you won through iTunes. You know, how many, yeah. how, how many people and won Amazon. that episode? It, yeah, and, and Amazon. The legal, the legal ways, yeah. They never announce it, and I would suspect probably because they're, you know, they're charging money for all of those downloads. So, you Except know, you, if you announce that there's 100,000 downloads, then suddenly it becomes really obvious to everybody how much money you made. And I, I would understand studios wanting to keep that close to the vest but yeah steph you're plunking down 299 for that hd version of an episode it does count in in the sense of mgm mgm the studio that makes the show and owns the show makes that money uh, but sci-fi doesn't see any of it um, so in terms of of renewal you know itunes and hulu doesn't make any difference because hmm. mgm i think would continue to make the show forever if they could yeah they don't need to be convinced. And 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 Hulu is um is just is essentially an advertising device. They do not make money off of Hulu's commercials. Hulu makes money off of Hulu's commercials. And they're Isn't they're the only profit sharing. Mm-mm. They're the only ones that do. When you're when you're posting on on Hulu, you're trying to get the word out about your product, and that's essentially what it is. There is no money that's that's shared. Yeah, which is why the studios and the networks do things like they've done with SGU this season. And allowing the first three episodes to be available immediately after Correct. broadcast yep. uh, as sort of a, a promo thing. And then they yank it away. And now SGU is not available until 30 days after the broadcast because they want you to go watch it on sci-fi. Oh, I didn't know that they moved it up a month. A lot of a lot of folks are doing that now. Sons of Anarchy, which <laughs> my parents are huge yeah. into, is, is only available a month after it's broadcast. Yeah, and some shows I know in the past they've done a week offset so that this one and then the next one airs before you can watch mm-hmm. uh, the previous weeks or eight days and I had a problem with that because you know I would have commitments on Monday night or something and then I would go to Hulu to catch up on Heroes and I was unable to catch up on the show uh, so I dropped it not Heroes and... but but whatever shows it was um, at the time yeah I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, downloading stuff illegally or anything I didn't have any way to watch the show at that point and if you're in a position where you're not extremely fanatical about the show but you're willing to put it off for a week 
they've lost television viewers that way because you've just all you've done is time shifted your viewing one week later and just exactly. stick with stick with Hulu because it's it's excellent quality anyway and the and exactly. you can watch it at your own pace with with the fraction of the commercials and that was my problem i think i was watching house at the time this was a couple of years ago when hulu was just getting going and uh, they were there was an 8 day delay on hulu and i watched it religiously on television and then i missed one and the only way i had to catch up was to wait the 8 days and then i had missed the previous one i'd missed the one that aired the day before so then i was forced to only watch it on hulu it, it's almost like it's a system that encourages you to download illegally just to maintain the continuity of the show in a, t- in a timely manner for yourself. Because yeah. all these shows are so intensive now on – on and it's like the syndication system has been completely abandoned. No one likes Reset Button. You know, People like shows that, that drag you into them. Well, thanks, guys, for your voicemails and for your comments on Cloverdale. We do have some more listener mail to get into. Let's listen to what some other folks have to say. Listener mail. Hi, guys. This is Steve from Melbourne, Australia here. Firstly, I want to say big thanks to the guys at the Gateworld Podcast. Uh, You've really enhanced my viewing of the show. Uh, I tune in every week, so big thumbs up there. Also, I want to talk about Stargate Universe and just the dark, uh, gritty feel that they've gone for this show. I think it's fantastic, and the franchise needed it. Uh, love the look and feel of it, and there's just the the comedy that they seem to throw in there, like in the last episode where they were trying to describe the taste of the food when they were feeding the aliens. I thought that that was just the right sort of comedy beat that they needed. So, yeah, if they keep going in this direction, I'm going to be one happy chappy. Yeah. Cheers. Hi, this is Avi from Chicago. I've got a, I guess it's an old Stargate um, question, which has been brought to light because of the recent episode, because of the recent universe episodes. There's always this assumption after about the first season of Stargate that everyone just kind of spoke English and there was some unknown what method that the uh, Stargate Stargate translated for everyone or just everyone happened to speak English or something that no one really, it was never really explained why the teams never had any problem communicating on other worlds. And then universe, our two interactions with different alien species, there's no, you know, there's, there's this clear language barrier that seems to not be um, easily overcome. How much you know, more simpler would the, the episode have been had they actually been able to talk with the alien when that, that, showed, that dropped into the uh, control room on the Cedar ship? Uh, so that was just uh, my thought on this uh, week's uh, episode, and hope to watch more. You guys are doing great. And I know that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but I, f- I find that SGU has um, been much more realistic overall. And they're taking a lot of the uh, the classic sci-fi, uh, uh, the, the, the things that you could take for granted in sci-fi with SG-1 and SGA, you can't take for granted so much in, uh, in SGU. And one of them is English-speaking aliens. They're, they're, they're much more deliberate about, um, about not having aliens speak English because they're, they're clear across the other end of the universe. They don't even necessarily have the same type of vocal cords that we do or vocal cords at all. 
Whereas with SG1 and SGA, you had to have them speak English basically in order to progress the story. You couldn't spend a third of the episode having Daniel or or McKay uh, learn the language because that you just can't do that. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the ways that uh, the show is more realistic. Now, if they didn't have sound in space, then we'd be getting somewhere, but uh, they still do. I just want to follow up on something Darren said, and I mean David brought up in the last uh, podcast about um, names, uh, the titles of the episodes sometimes don't have to do with the episode. When I was uh, watching this week's pathogen, I assumed that it would have something to do with medicine, disease, um, something to that nature. But it was really more of a metamorphosis would have been a better title. Um, So I think that's, uh, hope to hear your comments on this week and and wait for Tuesday for the next episode. Have a good time. Yeah, we did talk about last week how pathogen wasn't necessarily really there wasn't a pathogen in the episode that we could identify. Metamorphosis is on the right track, but of course SG-1 used that title in season six. So keep thinking. You know, I was thinking about pathogen last week. You know, could could uh, I mean it's talking about Chloe, but could it also be talking about about um, about Mrs. Wallace? I mean, the she's got HIV. Could that be considered a pathogen? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, that storyline I thought wasn't really about her HIV. I mean, it was about her emotional struggles and reactions right but i mean she also got really sick in that episode too yeah i remember stories from the star trek franchise because of course stargate is now hovering around 350 episodes and star trek before enterprise went off the air was well over 600 Mm -hmm. (laughs) i remember reading interviews with the producers about you know coming up with a preliminary title for an episode and then a week later somebody comes back and you know the original series in season three used that one or, you know, TNG Season 2 used that one, and they don't want to repeat. Yes, this is John from D.C. I'm calling in regards to the episode Pathogen. I thought Chloe, you know, disease thing, it was just more of just a breadcrumb, just to lead the little tidbit and then skip to the next episode. There weren't other big developments in this episode that I thought were meaningful. Uh, the other point I wanted to mention was that in Awakening, the writers used the database thing and something that we've seen from Atlantis, and it's just they already had a database that they were looking, that they had to search information for. It just seems like a meaningless trick. I mean, I don't see the point of that. Uh, they already look, had looked through the current database, and it was something that Atlantis had that you know it took, would take them so many freaking times to, you know, decrypt the information that's there. Those are my thoughts. I'm generally enjoying the second season, but I may give up. But then again, Stargate's been part of my life for (laughs) decades. And I'll I'll just have to wait and see. Thank you. And good job on the podcast. So as we said, this week's episode of Stargate Universe is called Trial and Error. Uh, this one looks really cool. I've seen the, the teaser. I've read some spoilers. I'm not going to spoil you. But Thank you. I am really excited about this episode. This should be cool. It should be sci-fi. Uh, there should be some uh, outer space stuff happening, some visual effects, some some important character development. I think this one's really going to push the season two plot forward in a big way. Trial and Error airs uh, Tuesday on Sci-Fi Channel if you live in the U.S., Check it out Tuesday at 9. 
in Canada on Space. It airs this Friday. And also on Sci-Fi Channel in Australia, it airs on Friday. And then next Tuesday, next week, on Sky One in the UK. So this week's listener question is, what did you think of Trial and Error? We want to get as many people as we can involved in our main discussion here. We'll stick in your voicemails. And what what number? What number should they call? 951-262-1647. You can also email in a brief audio recording. MP3 format is preferable. And uh, we will send it off to the lovely and talented Russell to plug it into the show. So that's the November 8th episode of the Gate World Podcast, Trial and Error. And then on November 15th, it's The Greater Good. And on November 22nd, we're going to be talking about the episode titled Malice, which is the Rob Cooper Spectacular. So what did you think of Caprica's cancellation? I'm reacting to this cancellation news in a very different way from most of the sci-fi shows that I love so much because I haven't been watching Caprica. I watched the pilot when it came out on DVD and I really liked it. I thought it had a lot of potential, really interesting sort of dramatic take on, on a very, very much traditional space faring, you know, ship based show. Really interesting that they took it in this very new, very different direction. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a family drama mm-hmm. of, of these two families, the Adamas and the Greystones. When it came on, on sci-fi, I, I watched a couple of episodes, and it didn't grab me enough to keep me tuning in every week. So I have every intention of watching the show, but especially when they put it on Tuesdays, and I saw that the ratings were where they were at. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to wait and see if it was going to be canceled before I mm-hmm. commit my myself, you know, my emotions and yeah, my loyalty exactly. to the show anymore. So now I'll watch the rest of the season knowing that this is it. This is the story that we get. Yeah, you when you get into that headspace of of uh, of, of caring for the characters and, and for that world, I mean, to find out that it's yeah. canceled is, is like kind of ripping your heart, heart out of your shirt, out of your chest. I, I have DVR'd the the last five episodes the the for the second half of the season. I have not watched them because I was I was expecting to hear something like this. I, I had heard a while back that the sets had been struck. I was like, well, this is not uh, this is not gonna be good news. So mm-hmm. I waited, and now I will go back and, and watch the five. But th- they're they're putting the next five next year, which that is so yeah. stupid. Why do added- that? Why? It's like they, it's like sci-fi looks for every chance it can, be it a be it a, a writer strike or whatever, to move as many episodes as far away as possible. They they've sort of I mean, they've written off the show to some degree. The reason why it didn't get picked up for season two was because uh, they said clearly in the statement the ratings just weren't there. It could not find its audience. It was given enough time, I think. They tried it on a couple of nights. I think it was a good idea to to give it a shot this fall and to not not make people wait until January to bring back the second half of the season. But now they're putting the last five episodes off where people aren't even going to be looking for the show at that point because it's already out of their head. Why not just air them them in one night, like next week or something? Why not do that? Yeah, just burn them off. Why not? Yeah, it it doesn't. I don't know what the thinking is, um, why they think it's in in their best interests. Uh, Because it's obviously not about the show's best interest anymore. The show's been canceled. Yeah. Uh, why they think it's in their best interest to air it next year? Uh, I'm glad that they're at least airing just them. Sort of, sort of twisting the knife at that point. 
I was so looking forward to this show. I thought that the, the concept was immensely interesting. I, my, my heart and my mind were open to a new type of sci-fi. I was not going to be one of these people who were like, no, I, I must have, I must have same old, same old Battlestar Galactica stuff. I must have ships and vipers and this mm -hmm. and that. But it just didn't, it just didn't work, you know. And I was gravely disappointed in 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 that. Uh, the, the characters were, in my opinion, uninteresting. Well, what I've read is that they very quickly switched away from the family drama and, you know, the death of the daughters and of Adama's wife and switched over to focusing a lot on uh, the, the terrorist organization, STO, and sort of the religious elements that are going on there. I don't know, man. I committed my, myself last year to defying gravity, knowing that it was a long shot to get renewed uh, because of... of the way that ABC seemed to be treating it, you know, airing it at like 10 p.m. on Sunday nights mm -hmm. with no marketing. You know, they were calling it the they were calling it Grey's Anatomy in space, which I think puts everyone off rather than <laughs> attracting the guys who like space and the girls who like Grey's Anatomy. Instead, they ended up putting off the guys who don't Everybody. like Grey's Anatomy and the girls who don't like space. But, yeah, I love that show. And they only I will watch it. Eight. They only aired eight of the 13 in the U.S., the DVD experience is—is is that uh, an enjoyable one to watch those episodes through? Because like Firefly, was like—I mean, like it was like going camping for one weekend watching that entire series. <laughs> you know, is it—is it as enjoyable as 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 Firefly? In that regard, I think so. I mean, I followed that show weekly, and I haven't rewatched it this year, so I don't really have the experience of sitting down and watching it all in a run. Okay. Uh, but it's very much—I uh, mean, it's a drama set okay. in space. So know what it is, and if you like what it is, then then yeah, it's very much an arc-based show. So I would love to watch it in a weekend. I just videotaped my buddy putting on and demonstrating Maddox's flight suit uh, mm -hmm. this past week. So that that video is going to be on YouTube pretty soon. I'm interested in uh, in watching the show and seeing these pieces come to life. I love those suits, man. The it's production a beautiful suit. The, show. the suits I, and the I wore ship. one. Yeah, both the interior and the exterior visual effects of the Antares. It was mm -hmm. beautiful, Chef. I loved it. Now, so let me ask you this before we run out of time. People have been speculating Caprica and SGU were airing next to each other on Tuesday nights. They're both sort of in the same line of a serious drama mm -hmm. versus something like a Eureka or a Warehouse 13. And they both have had ratings difficulties on that Tuesday night time slots. Caprica gets canceled. What do you think this means for SGU? Is it sort of... Few were safe now. There's no way they're going to cancel both of them in the same year. Or should SGU be looking over its shoulder? I I just don't know if we're going to be in for a season three or not. I could go either way at this point. I I, I mean I, I think I think you and me are pretty much convinced that the back ten of SGU are going to be moved to another night. I think that's pretty safe to say because it's not working on Tuesday nights, and which means that it's going to have to, its its serious viewers are are going to have to work to find the show again unless unless their yeah. DVR is doing it for them. Well, I mean, props to Stargate for the viewership that it has gotten on Tuesday nights. Yeah, that was hard. Some pretty serious competition, but yeah, it seems to me after Caprica gets canceled, yeah. ratings or no ratings, once Caprica is canceled, it seems to me that Sci-Fi has to be saying to itself that this. Tuesday night experiment not working. is not not really working. Well, I'm sorry to see uh, that Caprica never found its uh, found its footing. You know that that's that's a, a large number of factors. I mean, it's just I'm glad that they tried it. I'm glad that it yeah. got made. But I mean, if it if it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. Yeah, so. a for effort for Sci-Fi Channel. 
and uh, and all the guys at the Caprica team. Uh, like I said last week, I'm cautiously optimistic that Blood and Chrome is yeah. going to is going to get more traction because it sounds like it's maybe more more traditional science fiction. Thanks a lot for tuning into the show. Tune in next week for episode 107. We'll be discussing uh, 206 Trial and Error. <laughs> Trial and Error. Thanks, everybody, and thanks once again to Russell for editing the show this week. If you want to call into the hotline, now I'm talking to everybody. I'm not talking just to Russell, but Russell, you can call in, too. You can. The number, again, is 951-262-1647. If you didn't get your pencil out quick enough, that's on the website. Go to gateworld.net and look up the episode number 106, Cloverdale Show Notes. Be keeping an eye out for the next episode of The Tammy Zone very soon. From Gateworld, this is Darren. This is David. And would you come on back next week for more of the Gateworld Podcast. I've been walking on all of my days And I've been trying to find what's been